Welcome to the Walter Paisley Movie House, where we celebrate the little engines that could not. Coming to you from Nilbog Manor Studios, our music is by Jonathan Harmon, and I am your host, Dylan Rory. Today's guest is an actor and singer who began her movie career in 1950 at the tender age of seven, making a name for herself by being able to cry on cue. She's appeared in movies and TV shows featuring some of the most legendary performers of all time, including Bing Crosby, George Reeves, Red Skeleton, oh, Skeleton, Red Skelton, <laughs> Lon Chaney Jr., John Saxon, Fay Ray, Alan Ladd, Walt Disney, Jack Palance, Sally Field, Sid Haig, Kevin McCarthy, Troy Donahue, Piper Laurie, Barbara Stanwyck, Quinn Redeker, Loretta Young, Danny Kaye, Ellen Burstyn, and Jack Benny. She's also been directed by the likes of Cecil B. DeMille, George Stevens, Frank Capra, Ted B. Michaels, and that's probably the first and only time Ted B. Michaels will be mentioned with those other three directors, and former podcast guest, the legendary Jack Hill. She even shared credits with the designer of the original Batmobile, George Barris. She's hung out with the Lone Ranger, Superman, and gotten old with Mr. Spock. She even dated Bobby Boris Pickett. Her 1963 song, Everybody Loves Saturday Night, written by folk legend Pete Seeger, became a hit and provided lots of lonely teenage girls something to cry their eyes out to when they didn't have a date. Not only that, but she was also in the classic educational short, Atomic Energy is a Force for Good, helped to traumatize generations of children and old yeller, and of course, she played Elizabeth Mary in a little film that has come up on this podcast more than a few times, Spider Baby. Her 2009 memoir, Real Tears, The Beverly Washburn Story, is an unflinching look at her life and career from her very first memories to where she is today and is available in paperback, audiobook, and on Kindle. Please welcome the woman who stole leaves from Ricky Nelson's front yard tree, <laughs> Beverly Washburn. Oh my goodness. Thank you, Dylan. What, a, what an intro. That was, uh, you know more about my career than I do. <laughs> Oh my goodness! Thank you for having me on your podcast. This is very um, flattering that you contacted me, and I just thank you so much. Well, thank you for doing it. I'm very, I'm very excited to have you here. Uh, you, you've obviously, as that those credits that I just rolled out show, you've had quite the career uh, going back to 1950, and uh, really not much stopped since. Um, thank. You. So you, you were born in. Uh, you didn't. You didn't grow up in Hollywood. You moved west because your sister. Your sister had an illness that required the the climate out there. Well, actually, yeah, I did grow up in in Hollywood. Um, my family was from Chicago, and my okay. older sister Audrey uh, got ill, and the doctors suggested that my family move west to a warmer climate, and that's when everybody moved to L.A. because. Mm -hmm. My mother had um, a sister who lived in L.A., my, my Aunt Emma, and so I was the, I had two sisters and two brothers, but I was the only one actually born in California. Okay, okay. So uh, that must have been a huge <laughs> shift for them, I'm sure. Chicago, <laughs> I'm sure it was. Chicago to L.A. <laughs> right. Yeah, it was all because of the climate, and mm. then everybody just kind of, ended up living there and, and loving California. And your sister, Audrey, she began working in the business. Yes, sadly, my sister, who was my very best friend, she passed away um, from breast cancer. Mm -hmm. 
just something I'll, I miss her every day. But I'm so um, sorry about that. Thank you. Yeah. So she was an acrobat, and she would travel around and entertain the troops and veterans, and uh, I would just kind of tag along. And my mother got me an agent, so um, that was Lola, I would go Lola Moore. Right. Yes. Yeah, okay. I would go on countless auditions, but I never got the part because I didn't have any experience. And at this one time, I was. Um, with my sister in Long Beach, California, at the Veterans Hospital, and Jock Mahoney happened to be there. Legendary stuntman. Yeah, and he was also the range rider and Yancey Derringer, and I was mesmerized by this tall, handsome cowboy. <laughs> and so we met, and uh, I was six at the time, and as fate would have it, a few months later, I was on an audition for a movie at Columbia, and he happened to walk through the lobby. He was under contract. So he asked my mother what I was doing there, and uh, she told him. So he said, I'll be right back. <laughs> and we found out later that he had gone into the producer, and he said, oh, this kid is great. She's done this, and she's done that. And I hadn't done a thing, <laughs> really. <laughs> and so as the story goes, he lied, and they believed him. And I got the part, so it was really because of him, because he vouched for me, and I really had no experience whatsoever, but I was lucky enough to get that part. And then once I did that, it was easier to go on from there because now I had a credit with a speaking role to my name, and so that's how I segued into acting. And that was the killer that stalked New York, correct? Right, yeah. and uh, that was with Evelyn Keys mm -hmm. and... William Bishop and Dorothy Malone. What was Lola Moore like? She's kind of a legend for uh, childhood agents. Yeah, she was one of the um, more important, uh, as you said, legendary agents in Hollywood for child actors. And she was a large woman, and she always wore this gigantic hat that would have, like, fruit on the top, kind of like Carmen Miranda. <laughs> And she was a lovely lady, and she, you know, she believed in me, and I was so grateful, and she would just send me on all these auditions. It was awful because I never got anything. I was just always turned down because I had no experience, but she didn't give up on me. And then, you know, I was just fortunate and very blessed that Jock Mahoney happened to be there that one day, and so that's how I got started. That's... <laughs> It's one of those, you know, you always hear the Hollywood story, and it's usually a lot more luck than it is anything else getting you through the door the first time. Yeah, and that's... talent kind of follows after. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes just, you know, being at the right place at the right time, and so I'm, I'm very grateful that it happened that way for me. We had uh, Butch Patrick on here. And huh. he, he had kind of a similar path where his sister was the one that uh, was doing a lot of the acting, and he's the one who got picked uh, <laughs> kind of thing. So. <laughs> yeah, that happened. Same with Tony Dow. Um, mm -hmm. He went on an audition with his friend just to hang out with him, and his friend was actually the one that was auditioning, <laughs> but they picked Tony instead. So... And Tony, of course, we all know is Wally on Leave It to Beaver. And he and I are, we've been friends for all these years. And he actually wrote the foreword for my book. So, 
Yeah, he. Um, I, I listened to the audiobook version. I'm sorry about coughing also. I'm trying to hit mute before I do it. My allergies are just awful. I apologize oh, no. to listeners too. Um, but uh, the uh, the audiobook that I have of your memoir, yeah, he, he reads that forward at the beginning of it. It's very sweet. I know. He's just the sweetest guy ever, and so is his, his wife is just darling, and we stay in touch all the time. We did love letters a few years ago. And, oh. Um, yeah, he's nice. he's just one of the sweetest guys I've ever known, and I'm just so blessed to call him my friend. He's just the best. And you guys still, I'm sure, run into each other at conventions and things. Yeah, in fact, he and his wife, Lauren, last year they were, I live in Las Vegas, as mm-hmm. you know, and they were here for his granddaughter's tournament. I can't remember now if it was soccer or volleyball, but his granddaughter is and so she was here for a tournament. So they came, and so we got to spend the 4th of July together oh, that's here. Great. Yeah. So after the killer that stalked New York, you started kind of showing up in a lot of films. Uh, basically, you were working pretty consistently um, all through the 50s into the 60s, uh, getting mm-hmm. a lot of work in television and film. Uh, of course, one of the earliest films you had, Superman and the Mole Men, um, pretty legendary film as far as uh, being one of the first superhero feature films. Um, yeah. And it's such a strange plot. <laughs> I, I know. Yeah, things have changed quite a bit over the years. But yeah, for me, you know, the thrill for me was, you know, I was so young. I didn't know who George Reeves was, but I knew who Superman was, of course. Mm-hmm. Of course, I thought I was you know, really working with Superman. And, you know, I've said this before, so forgive me for being redundant for people who've heard me on other shows, but I I was so fortunate to have worked with so many people, like, you know, the ones you mentioned, like Jack Benny and Loretta Young and Mm -hmm. being directed by Cecil B. DeMille and uh, Frank Capra and George Stevens, but I was too young to appreciate it. I had no idea who these people were you know I didn't have a clue and it wasn't until I became an adult that I realized just how lucky how blessed how fortunate I was because I didn't appreciate it at the time because I was too young to understand who they were and you know in my old age now I just I feel so fortunate that I have those memories that I just cherish it's, I didn't realize it at the time, but I sure do now. Do you remember the first time you really started to realize and appreciate that you you know worked for somebody like DeMille or George Stevens? Do you remember well, the first moment that kind of hit you? Well, it was just kind of as I got older, you know, into my late teens and stuff and started realizing this is really amazing that I I'm able to do this. And the older I get, the more I appreciate it. And, you know, there was a thing back in the 60s, they don't have it anymore, but it was called the Deb Star Ball. And it wasn't a beauty contest or anything like that, but it was a a show that they put on. I think it went on for maybe 10 years or so. They don't do it anymore, but they did back in the 60s. And it was, they would have 10 girls, and they were nominated by the hairdressers and makeup people. And 
it wasn't anything to do with looks or beauty or anything like that. It was just ten girls that they thought were whatever talented or that would go on to do other things. Mm-hmm. And each girl had to have a sponsor, and they would also have to have an escort, which the studio would pick for us. And my escort was Bill Bixby, so that oh. was a thrill. He was so nice. And my sponsor was Jack Benny. And the other girls that were part of it back then, one of them was Raquel Welch. And she, you know, this was in the very beginning of her career. Mm-hmm. It kind of was the start of her career because she wasn't famous then. And it was Raquel Welch and um, Barbara Parkins, who was uh, later on, um, what was that show? Um, oh, gosh. I'm having a senior moment. <laughs> I'm sorry, oh, I don't Peyton know. Place. Yeah, Peyton Place. Oh, and okay. also Marianne Mobley. And uh, I'm trying to think who else. But it was really fun. And so it was a show. It was televised. And we would come out with our escort. And I just got so lucky that they picked Bill Bixby for me because he was just so dear. He was the nicest guy. And... Um, so, but, you know, they don't do that anymore, but mm-hmm. it was then when I started realizing how how fun this is, you know, and I just, it was something I always enjoyed doing, and people have asked me, you know, if, I, I don't have children, I, I've got furry children, mm-hmm. I've got, always had dogs and cats, and um, I'm a widow now, my husband passed away, but I, know, I wasn't one. I'm so sorry, one... I was widowed by cancer also, and it's just a horrible um, thing to go through. Oh, it is, it's the worst, it's like nothing in life is harder to endure than losing those whom we love, you know, but. Yeah, and just watching them fade, it's, it's not a fun time. It's horrible, it really is, but, um, anyway, um. I was, oh, I was just saying that people have said to me, if you had children, would you want them to be in the business? And, you know, it's just, I know there's a lot of horror stories around about children in the business, you know, how they were mistreated or um, didn't want to be there. And a lot of children in the business, sadly, you know, ended up either as alcoholics or druggies or whatever. And I'm just so grateful that I was able to escape all that, and I think it had to do with my upbringing because my parents tried to always teach me, you know, right from wrong. And um, but I, my answer to that is, you know, if it's something that their children would want, if it's their dream, because it's sad if it's the parents' dream, you know, right. and that they live vicariously through their children. So, because not all children want to do that, they'd rather be out playing with their friends or whatever. Yeah. But for me, I, I it was just something I always enjoyed doing. It was always fun for me because as a child, I had a vivid imagination. And my best friend Joni, from when we were six years old, in fact, we're still friends to this day. She lives in St. Louis, and we are still in touch. But we would you know, play this game with our imaginary boyfriends <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, our imaginary, make, you know, making dinner. We'd make mud pies and pretend we were making dinner for our boyfriends. <laughs> and um, 
anyway, so it was fun for me. So when I started acting, it was kind of like an extension of my imagination playing a part of somebody else, you know, being a a different person. So for me, I always enjoyed it, and I still do. So if it's something that a child dreams of or really wants to do, then I would definitely say, you know, to encourage them as long as it's not, you know, the parents that's forcing them to do it. Yeah. We just, when Butch Patrick was here, we discussed that a little bit, and um, he—he's—it's obviously something he gets asked about a lot. The idea yeah. of um, you know the child star who falls apart uh, later mm-hmm. in life, and um, you know he—he he brought up a lot about his upbringing, and and he had his own struggles, and he's very open about his struggles with addiction, and uh, he's been clean now for uh, well over ten years, uh, probably yeah. closer to fifteen now, um, but. But he, he credits a lot of it to his mother and uh, stepfather being, you know, part of his life and um, always engaging with him and not letting him fall into any of the those obvious traps. Yes, yes, absolutely. You did, I in your memoir, you talked a little bit about, though, how your, your parents did spend a lot of the money that you had made and um, later in life that, that affected your well-being for a while yet you held no ill will toward them at all no not at all um i don't know if if you read my my book or not but it's um yeah you did thank you (laughs) you're the one okay (laughs) (laughs) thank you um no you know my family they got married right out of school um i didn't grow up in a wealthy family and they uh they weren't really well educated. They didn't go to college, and they struggled. My dad had poor health, and, uh, you know, my mother never really worked. She would canvas, as they called it, going around selling greeting cards, knocking on doors to make money to put food on the table. But through it all, there was so much love in my family. And so I, I don't have any resentment. They did what uh, they knew what to do at the time and looking back I don't have any regrets and at the time I was too young to realize that whatever money I was making is you know what they use to survive on Mm -hmm. so you know in essence I I was the breadwinner and I didn't know it but I don't I don't have any regrets because they didn't it wasn't like they took the money and you know blew it on alcohol or drugs or um, anything like that. It was just, uh, I look back and I'm, I'm glad that I was able to support my family. So I, I don't have any regrets. They didn't do it out of malice or, you yeah. know, they just, they didn't know how to handle money because they never had it. And now all of a sudden I was working and bringing in the money and so they used it, but they were always good to me. And whenever I'd get a part in a TV show or a movie, I would always get to pick out a doll. Uh, you know, I loved dolls when I was a child, and I would always get a new doll and a new outfit. So it wasn't like they just squandered the money or anything. And uh, so. You mentioned Jack Benny, and you, you had a really long friendship with him uh, yeah. through most of his life, uh, you know, when you first started working with him and uh, up to his death. 
And uh, what, what do you, I mean, you, you talk so much about them in your memoir. I don't want to, I want to encourage people to go get your memoir. I don't, I don't want to give too much away here, but um, just, uh, I've, I've never, and I've, I've, I listen to a lot of old Hollywood podcasts and there's always, there's always bad stories about everybody except Jack Benny. And you you seem pretty much to have the same, same thoughts on him. Absolutely. It was always pretty funny when you think about it. He played the stingy tightwad, and he was anything but. He was truly generous and kind and thoughtful. And <clears throat> we had a a long relationship. When I first worked with him, it was you know back in the days of live TV, the Jack Benny show, and they had me planted in the audience. In fact, it's on YouTube. If anybody, I watched it. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you just have to type in Jack Benny and the little girl. And so they had me planted in the audience, and so the rest of the audience didn't know that I was part of the act. Mm-hmm. And so during the monologue at, on cue, I get up, as, as you know, and go up on stage and ask for his autograph. And that was my first experience working with him and it was back in the days of live tv when whatever you do at that moment goes on live there's no tape delay they can't do it over they can't say cut let's go back and try it again so he was actually taking a big chance on me because i was so young and if you notice when you watch it there's a few times when he stuttered a lot and he told me later it was because he was really nervous because we had rehearsed it, but never with an audience. And his fear was that maybe with a lot of people I could get stage fright or I would forget lines and I would suddenly run off stage. Or he said worse, he was afraid if he forgot his lines that it might throw me off. And back then, you know, whatever you're doing, it goes on the air where now... (laughs) They'll do live shows, but they have that few-second tape delay where they can cut something out, you yeah. know, or go go back. And back then, it was not that way. It was live. And so he was very nervous, and fortunately, it went on without a glitch or anything. And, um, and so from that day on, he just kind of took me under his wing, so to speak, and I worked with him several times and we became friends over the years I toured with him and he would do these really sweet things like when um, my daddy was in the hospital um, he actually sent over his own personal physician to look on my dad and and the sweet thing about that is he didn't do it for the accolades he didn't do it so that they would write about it in the Variety or the Hollywood Reporter. Nobody even knew he did that except my family. So he did it from his heart. You know, it wasn't from. It wasn't so people would think how wonderful he was because yeah. nobody other than our family knew that he had done that. And he was just a really generous man, and he gave me a string of real pearls that I treasure and. He gave me a St. Christopher that says to Beverly, with love, Jack Benny. And he just, he was a very giving, kind man. And he was generous to a fault. And, you know, a lot of comedians want to be the ones that say the punchline. But he wasn't that way. He he was fine with 
the other person getting a laugh because he would do his famous take and his mm-hmm. expression that <laughs> only Jack Benny could do, and people would just be roaring with laughter, and he wouldn't even have to say anything. It was just his expressions, you know? Well, on the complete flip side of that, you were also in Hans Christian Andersen with Danny Kay, who didn't like anyone else getting the laugh. But despite that, I do. He is one of my favorite performers. Um, yeah. What are your memories of that film? Well, you know, I, I was only I only worked one day, and and again, I was so young, I really didn't know who. Danny Kay was, and it wasn't until I, you know, I became an adult that I realized that I was lucky that I got to work with Danny Kay. He was very nice to me. I was, it was always confusing to me in, in later years because I was told that he had a reputation for not liking children, and yet he was very active with UNICEF and mm-hmm. children and all that, so I, that it's so contradictory. I don't I don't know. He's a but very he was a complex you know. person. It's it's really interesting when you read that history on him and and it's really hard to find anyone who an, an adult who worked with him that has much nice to say about him. Um because yeah. uh, he was just very complicated and and easily annoyed and <laughs> <laughs> But then again, you know, I was just a child and it would be pretty awful if he was mean to yeah. a child. <laughs> so he he was he was a very nice I, I love I, just hearing you talk about Jack Benny is is one. It's obviously there's a lot of affection there. Um, yeah. And he I it's I'm like I say I've never heard anything bad ever said about him. Um, so I'm I'm glad that that's continued. <laughs> yes, I know. Isn't that true? There's people like Betty White, for instance. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I never got to meet her. She was one of my idols, and in fact, I adopted a little senior dog last year and who is 13 she only has three teeth and she's just a little white dog and i named her betty white because Uh (laughs) after betty white because she was such an animal lover and you never ever would ever hear anybody say anything unkind about betty white so um, there are people like that in the world thank goodness that I jump around a little bit. I don't really follow a chronology here when I'm talking to people. But um, you mentioned in your memoirs uh, having a dog later in life named Ralph. Yeah. And I had to ask, was Ralph, was he named after Sid Haig's character in Spider Baby? <laughs> no. <Okay>. Um, <laughs> the timing of I it had... seemed significant, so I was wondering. <laughs> no, um, uh... <laughs> That was I had my little dog Ralph before I did Spider okay. Baby. Okay. But but Sid Haig, oh my goodness, he was one of my favorites. He was so much fun to to work with, and and as you and I spoke before doing our little podcast here, how much Sid loved his fans. He just was so fan friendly, and it was such a loss when he when he died. I just adored him, and I was lucky enough to do two films with him on yeah, the other one was also a, a jack hill film pit mm-hmm. stop and it was just uh so nice to work with sid and um and also i i recently heard from rob zombie and i found out that spider baby is one of rob's 
favorite films. Yeah, and it, that, it directly inspired House of a Thousand Corpses. Yeah, isn't that? I know. Yeah. I got the email from him recently, and I was so honored. At first, I thought this can't be really Rob Zombie. I don't know him, <laughs> and it was. But he had gotten my email from Jack Hill and contacted me. And oh, that's great. I, yeah, he was terrific. Well, let's just dive into Spider Baby. We we there's so much I want to talk to you about outside of it, but uh, since we're already on it, and it is easily one of my favorite films. Uh, really? Uh, absolutely. My son and I have watched it every Halloween, uh, probably at a way too young of age for him. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it, I, I like I had a bootleg copy before the re-release happened. I, I was obsessed with this movie back in high school. I had like the, the video cassette that had been taped 50 times over again. Uh, but, Real grainy yeah, and all that. Yeah, it's kind of how I think it's meant to be seen. Um, I mean, there's just so much about that movie to recommend it, um, not least of which Lon Chaney Jr. Um, oh, I... I, I talked to Jack uh, before I interviewed you to let him know that I was going to be talking to you and ask for any remembrances he had. And he just kept coming back. We talked a couple of times, and he just kept coming back to how much... Lon Chaney Jr. admired you and loved watching you work. Oh, really? Yeah. My goodness. Thank you. That, yeah. that, wow. He said Made he actually showed up, showed up for the dailies um, one day just to watch you do a scene where you cried because he was on screen with you and wasn't able to see you, and he wanted to go watch the dailies just to see it. Oh, my gosh, Dylan. I didn't know that. Thank yeah. you for that. Make, oh, my goodness. That's that means so much to me to hear that, and I just, you know, I adore Jack, and he, he's, I have to tell you a story. Some of your listeners, I'm sure, have already heard the story, but it just makes me laugh, because a couple of years ago, we were doing, there was a screening of Spider Baby somewhere, and unfortunately, I don't remember where we were. It was somewhere back east, and all these people came, and they were, you know, going on and on about Spider Baby, so they asked us if we would go up to the um, uh, upstairs in, in this room where they were going to interview Jack and, and me. We were the only two there at the mm-hmm. time. Um, Sid wasn't able to attend that, and so it was just Jack and me doing this little show. So we're sitting up in, the, in this room, and they're interviewing us, and the guy, the moderator, turns to Jack, and he said, Jack, I just have to tell you, you know, Spider Baby is so loved by everybody, but it's such a strange little out there kind of bizarre, quirky little film. He said, I'm just curious. He goes, how how did that all come about? I mean, how would you sit down and even start writing a film like that? Where did that come from? And Jack said, he goes, well, I was smoking a lot of weed back then. <laughs> it, was, it was so hilarious because... I mean, he's so adorable, and it was not the thing that people expected to hear in his 80s at the time saying that. But it was—he's pretty open it, about that. It was hilarious, and well, that explains it, right? <laughs> oh my goodness, it's so funny. Well, what are your memories of Lon Chaney Jr.? He, oh, he was here. Heart and soul of that film. I, I honestly think it's one of his best performances. Um, Me too, and that scene, you know, on the 
where he knows what's going to happen, and he cries, and his oh, eyes yeah. well up. Those were real tears, and you know, in the in the movie business, as a lot of people know, I'm sure, if a person, if an actor can't bring on the tears, mm-hmm. the makeup person has a way of making it Menthol look real. Pins or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> There's something that they blow in your eyes. It's I don't know menthol. what it is. It's menthol. And That's it's horrible, but <laughs> luckily for me, I I cry at supermarket openings, so it's easy for me to cry. <laughs> <clears throat> and so I never had to do that, but I've seen it happen to actors where they blow something mm-hmm. to make the tears well up in your eyes, or they the other thing is they take something, it's like glycerin, glycerin or something, yeah. and they take an eyedropper and they put it in the corner of your eyes so it looks like tears are coming down your mm-hmm. face. And um, so when that scene came, the makeup person was standing by thinking, you know, they might have to do that, but... He was so into that film and loved playing Bruno. And so he brought on, those were real tears. And I remember afterward, the whole crew, we all just, and cast, everybody just applauded because it was so touching and so moving because that was from his heart. It was just, he brought on those tears. And, you know, for the most part, I don't know, this is a generalization, but Typically, it's harder for men to cry than women. I don't know why, but um, so they didn't know if he could bring on the tears, mm-hmm. but those were real tears, and it was so impressive. He'd had such a complicated relationship with his own father, and mm-hmm. um, he, he he has been quoted in various different places talking about how there's there's just nothing worse than being an unloved child, which I think... He was talking more about himself than anything else at that point. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I listened to an interview with Janet Ann Gallo. She was the little girl in Ghost of Frankenstein, with where Lon Chaney Jr. played Frankenstein in that one, Frankenstein's monster in that one. And um, <clears throat> he, I, I think whenever he got to play any kind of fatherly role, uh, like he was playing in Spider-Baby and in, in Ghost of Frankenstein, he took that very seriously and... There was real affection there for the children, and he wanted to convey that. I think it, it especially comes across in Spider Baby. Like I say, it's it's an incredible performance from him, and you know you could write it off as a goofy film because it is it's crazy, <laughs> it's insane, it's very quirky, it's yeah. just nuts, and that's part of why I love it. But but his performance <laughs> kind of keeps everything on a, a down to earth plane, and makes yeah. it work. Yeah, I know. I was so the, the main reason I was so hoping to get that part because I didn't think that I had a chance because the audition. I mean, there were so many girls reading, and you know, we'd be eliminated one by one, and then one could stay and the other could go, and it went on, you know, for hours. And I just, I really wanted that part so badly, and primarily because I I knew Lon Chaney was going to be in it, and I thought, oh, how fabulous it would be to work with him and I really didn't think I had a chance because I was there for hours and then finally they came out and they told me I could go and so I thought well I guess I didn't get the part and that was really sad and then Jack told me later it's because they told me I could go because they had already decided on me but they still needed to find somebody to play um, the role that went to Jill and she was in it. Yeah. And the, the thing that makes me so sad is that Jill Awful. and Lon didn't live long enough to 
to see how this film is now because when we first did it, it just kind of sat there and nothing came from it. And now all these years later, I am just so amazed at how people love this film. And it just, I just get so overwhelmed and, and I'm so touched by that because to this day I get fan mail and I don't even know how people find me, but I'm grateful that they do. And I, I still get fan mail from it. And I got a letter from Hong Kong. <laughs> I'm like, what? And I, I've gotten them from Germany and England and Australia and New Zealand and Italy and Switzerland. And, I mean, it's just it's global. And it just blows me away. I can't believe it. And they even did Spider Baby the Musical yes. at one point. <laughs> like, really? And it's just, it was just, it was such a, it's one of my fondest memories. And when people come up and say Spider Baby is one of their favorite movies, I just, it just makes me smile from ear to ear. I'm so grateful that people embrace it the way they do. And because it's such a fun little, you know, it's not really like a slasher film. No, it's strange. (laughs) It's very, like that one scene where I look in the camera and I make that weird face, that was actually an outtake because I had forgotten my next line. And (laughs) I just looked into the camera and made that weird face, not knowing that they kept it in the film, which is so bizarre. (laughs) I mean, it's just really quick. You have to see it really... I don't, I don't know, know if you exactly recall. which scene you're talking about. <laughs> that was not scripted. That was not supposed to be there. I it was an outtake, and for you know a blooper, and for whatever reason they opted to keep it in the film, and all the little innuendos, you know, yeah. with you know there's a full moon tonight and all that. It, it was just such a fun film to do, and I. I had no idea in a million years that all these years later it would still be going and people still talk about Spider Baby and I'm so grateful and I know Jack is too and it's just um, I'm thrilled to have been a part of it. I really am so grateful. Well, it's, it's I mean, the cast too, just outside of, of yourself and Lon Chaney Jr. and Sid Haig, there's you know Quinn Redeker, Carol Omar, there are people <laughs> in there who are great actors who've got a good body of work and uh, and of course Manton Moreland Manton um, Moreland just so. incredible um, yeah it's great cast all around oh thanks I'm so happy to have been a part of it it just it, I'm just so grateful I just um, it just amazes me wherever I go I in fact I went I did this western convention a few years ago mm-hmm. and it was I was invited there because of having worked on the Lone Ranger and Wagon Train and the Texan and Old Yeller and um, that kind of stuff. So beforehand, they had a banquet, and it was it was held in uh, I think it was Laughlin. Uh, I think anyway, it was Western themed, and so the people that came there, they were you know like the real cowboys. Most of them looked like straight out of central casting with their you know with their, their top you know their cowboy hat and some of them even were wearing spurs and they had their you 
know, their Levi's with the big belt buckle and their Western shirts. And, <laughs> you know, they they were all so cute. And they, they were all there because they were, they loved, you know, Western films because it was a Western themed convention. And I was sitting at the table with some people and all of a sudden this cowboy comes over and he was really cute. He, he, he was all decked out in his Western clothes and everything, and he came over and he said, I just wanted to meet you because I want to tell you you were in one of my all-time favorite movies. And, of course, I'm thinking he's going to say The Lone Ranger or Shane or uh, Old Yeller or something. And I said, oh, well, thank you. What what movie? And he said, Spider Baby. <laughs> like, what? It was, it was so hilarious because that was not what I was expecting. So... It's um, loved by older people and younger people. There was one man that came up to my table one night, and he said, I I wanted to wait till you were done eating. I didn't want to disturb you, but I just wanted to know if you could sign. I've got a DVD. And he had to be well into his 80s because he was, yeah, and he was just kind of shuffling up to my table. And bless his heart, he was, you know, quite elderly. And... Uh, so he said, would you sign my DVD? And I said, oh, of course, I'd be happy to. And I'm thinking, again, he's going to give me Old Yeller or Shane or something. And it was Spider Baby. And I went, Spider Baby? It just shocked me. And he said, oh, yeah. He said, we uh, we play it every Halloween. I've been playing it for years. Love that movie. And I thought, that is so cute. I That's love just, to hear that. <laughs> yeah, it was so cute. I, I just love that. What are your memories of Jill? Um, gone far too soon. Uh, oh my! God. That was heartbreaking. Awful, awful accident that happened. I know. You know, we we filmed it so quickly because they had such a low budget, and we had. I think we did the whole film in thirteen days. So typically, when you work on a movie, as you know, it's like three months, and you mm-hmm. become family because you're there day after day after day. So. Jill and I, we didn't have an opportunity to get to really know each other on a family basis because we were only together like 11 days, I think it was, or 13. But she was darling, and she was such a beautiful girl. And it was so heartbreaking when she died. I I just think that she would have gone on to do some really big things because she was, I mean, people just love her in that movie. I mean, she's the main <laughs> She's the main one, aside from Lon and Sid in that movie, and um, I adored her. We got along great, but we didn't get to know each other like you do when you work with somebody for three months. But like with, you know, an old yeller, Tommy Kirk and I have been friends for over 65 years. And sadly, as you know, he just passed away last year, and that was devastating. But um, but Jill was darling, and she was so perfect in that role. And it was just, I'm just so, aside from, you know, losing her in such a horrible automobile accident, it was just heartbreaking that she never got to see the way people love that film now because, you know, she's everybody's pretty much favorite from the film. She, um, at the time of her death, was working, I, I believe she was dating Marlon Brando, but uh, also yes. working with him as a script uh, doctor, basically. She was punching up scripts for him. 
So obviously multi-talented. Absolutely. And, yeah, at her memorial service, Marlon Brando spoke, and he said that she was truly one of the only women that he ever truly loved. Oh. Yeah, it was heart-wrenching. Um, yeah, life, you know, every day is a gift. And um, uh, it saddens me that I'm, like, I'm the only one left from Old Yeller now. I was supposed to do a... Um, an old yeller reunion last year and tommy also lived here in las vegas and he would never fly so we uh, our plan was we were going to drive there together and he used to come over here for dinner a lot and i because i'm a widow and he was he never married and um so he would come here we were just really good friends and we were supposed to do this old yeller reunion and he was really looking forward to it and as was I and um and then just suddenly he you know unexpectedly died and it's devastating and I it just it feels wrong to me that I'm the only person left from old yeller and now with the spider baby Quinn Redeker and Mary Mitchell are still around and of course Jack but as far as the rest of the cast I mean it's just it's just sad, as but I mean it's all a part of life. But it's not easy to. So many of them so young, um, right? You know, comparatively, I mean, Sid Haig, he wasn't a spring chicken, but he was certainly far too young to be gone, and especially Absolutely. from such a horrible disease. Oh, I know oh. it is. Yeah, he was. He loved his fans, and um, uh, for people who were lucky enough to ever get his autograph, he had this bizarre signature you couldn't yes. read it it was like a symbol i don't know what it was you'd have to know that it was said hey it wasn't you know you couldn't read it but it was cute and he just um i yeah i adored him he just really makes me sad it's a it is i mean it's one of those things to be part of a movie that has that much not only of a following but of a life outside of itself where oh. it it's it's um and that's that's kind of that's what makes a cult film really is a movie that that lives beyond just the film itself and spider baby's definitely one of those it's um as you've already mentioned you talk to people who from all walks of life who love this movie people who every halloween break it out i'm one of those um you know as soon as my son i thought was old enough i'm breaking it out he's 23 now and we still are 24 geez 24 now and uh you know still every halloween we'll watch it really oh yeah. that's so cool thank you that's that's fun yeah i know it's just uh i don't know life sometimes just deals you some sad times but um i'm just i i'm so grateful that spider baby lives on and that people love it in fact um, my nephew recently, I, you know, I'm, I'm old and I'm technically challenged. I don't do all the, I don't do Facebook and I don't know how to do Instagram and TikTok. And you're, you're very, you're, Twitter. you're fine. You don't need to. <laughs> Nobody should. <laughs> I don't, I don't know how to do all that stuff. But my nephew recently forwarded on. He said, I can't remember now if it was on Instagram or TikTok or one of those or Twitter. I, I don't know one from the other, but. He um, sent it to me. He said, 
here's some uh, caricature cartoons of what some of the fans of Spider Baby have done. And they're these amazing, they're like cartoon pictures, like um, caricature things. And it was from different artists that they posted on oh, whichever. Cool. Sure, yeah. And I thought, wow, that is so nice. And they were really good ones. I mean, these artists are so talented and to think that they would you know do these drawings and paintings and charcoals and uh all different ones from spider baby was just i've seen models of the house um little dioramas <laughs> i've seen all sorts of stuff for it it's <laughs> amazing what people will do really oh that's so cool that's, it's fun I'm so just... after after spider baby you did pit stop also with jack hill um, and yeah. also your brother was in that with you. That ends part one with Beverly Washburn, Elizabeth from Spider Baby. So excited I got to talk to her. Uh, part two will be coming up in two weeks. Hope you guys are enjoying these. I know I get some of these people in that I just completely nerd out over, but I assume if you're listening to this podcast, you're a nerd too. So I feel comfortable and in a safe place here. Speaking of safe places, it's getting safer out in the world. Well, Comparatively speaking, anyway, when you get out and about, be sure to take care of your servers, because at the Walter Paisley Movie House, we do not piss on hospitality. Until next time, kids.